That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, welcome everybody to the sesquicentennial episode of Same Old Song. Not, you know, we have not been around for 250 years, but this is the 250th episode of Same Old Song. Which means what is it? it means we've been doing this for a long time. Jake, yeah. do you have any any reflections as we've reached this milestone? Two hundred fifty yeah. episodes. It just feels good, and I want to say thanks to all of our listeners for making this worth our time. So, uh, you know, two hundred and fifty episodes of contributing to um, uh, hopefully um, good preaching in the uh, church wherever you're at, whatever part of the vineyard you belong to. Yeah, and thanks to folks who, who've given us feedback and insight. Actually, I do want to address some feedback I got from a listener about some comments we made on our Mother's Day episode, Jake. Uh, Somebody reached no. out to me and, well, I think had some legitimate <laughs> Just concerns. <messing> no, because <laughs> we, we had said, you know, to uh, how you and we mentioned how you and I don't incorporate it into our liturgical stuff on that Sunday because of mm-hmm. how painful Mother's Day is and fraught for those who are estranged from their mothers or have a difficult relationship with their mother or they lost a child or were never able to have children and how, um, you know, asking all the moms to stand up or every mom gets a flower sort of ends up singling out those who have a difficult time. And this person said to me, yes, but uh, what about the need to just the fact that those who are mothers do incredible work uh Mm -hmm. and to honor that and to which i say yes and i am open to uh thoughts and ideas about you know how one might do that in a church context are there ways that one can honor a certain group of folks and the way they do it Um, so if you have ideas listeners uh let us know so we can uh be very anglican about this in both and um and try to be careful Mm. and not such uh don't be so polemical about it so i just that's how i wanted to say that as we begin here we're not, we don't good. mean to be hating on anyone. We're just saying, be careful. So if I could say this, just be careful, clergy people, when you do days to honor special causes, events, or people, and do it thoughtfully. Uh, but clearly, maybe we, we pushed a little too far on that one. I don't know. Just wanted to say that. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a good word. Okay. So uh, as we have now uh, done that, and let's get into these readings for the second study after Pentecost— Deep into June, and you know, based on what I've just said, by the way, Father's Day will be coming up as you're listening to this. So, if you want to do something, well, we for that, love to remember that one. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, do do whatever you want. We uh, we're on track two. We'll be doing so. There's two tracks of readings in the Revised Common Lectionary uh, over this. The typically, well, ordinary time these Sundays after Pentecost, Sundays after Trinity Sunday. Um, and we'll be doing track two, which means that basically the New Testament and the gospel readings will be the same. But if you're on track one or track two, 
What's different is the psalm and the Old Testament reading. Uh, whether if you're on track one, it's a little bit more of a chronological walk through the Old Testament, the story of God's people. And if you're track two, it's going to be not chronolog- chronological, jumping around a little bit more thematically linked and a little bit more into the prophets. So today we're going to be doing track two. We've done track one before. And, yeah, so we, we have probably done go it. back to like, you know, find episodes from three years ago. And uh, you can see what we did for track one. But now track two, so Hosea 5, and then Romans 4, 13 through 25, and Matthew mm-hmm. 9, verses 9 through 13, skipping 14, 15, 16, 17, and on to Matthew 18 through 26, this story from Jesus calling of calling of Matthew. So, mm. with that said, Jake, you doing okay? I'm doing great. I'm doing really good. So, um, yeah. You know, and uh, in June, you got to, I don't know what it is, but uh, we're just, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's starting to get hot in the church. And uh, and so... Um, you don't have AC in Calvary St. George's because you're in New York City? Uh, we uh, have just installed some ACs in um, in St. George's, so it will uh, we'll keep it at a nice cool 75. Mm. But, um, you know, so there it is. Burr, I just got a chill when you said 75 <laughs> degrees. <laughs> Man, it's uh, that's not how it rolls in Texas. Um, you need oh, it. Yeah. All right. So Hosea chapter five, verse fifteen through six, chapter or chapter six, verse six. Um, yep. This is uh, Hosea talking about uh, coming back to God, um, about going through kind of a, a dark night of the soul. Uh, sort of the language it uses is God has struck down, but now He will bind us up. Um, and it's a passage about repentance and renewal and all that. Um, uh, thus says the Lord, I'll return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. So it's an invitation to people to come back um, after, I mean, literally they've been exiled and they're in a difficult space. Uh, so physically well, coming back. But yeah, what are you going to say, Jake? No. Um, so uh, uh the uh, basically the issue going on here, and uh, this is this is really important um, um, to like if you're going to preach the prophets, you got to like give a little bit of historical context, and a lot of people uh, find it find it pretty uh, pretty interesting. But um, uh, essentially, what's going on here is is that um, is that uh, um, well, both Israel and um, and Judah have uh, been uh, faithless. Ephraim is the northern tribe, and uh, judgment is a coming. And uh, basically, there's a guy uh, from Assyria named Tiglath Pileser the third. I always say, I mean, we've said this. If I had a beer, I would name it Tiglath Pilsner, the third. But uh, um, he basically. Um, uh, so these guys have all formed an alliance with you know to take take him on. And um, and uh, they have become faithless. And uh, essentially, what is going on is is about um, Israel and Judah getting a little freaked out and trying to uh, seek God's face, and then him they not finding him. Mm. And uh, the point and what's going on here is is that um, the prophet is actually saying, "Hey guys." Uh, the reason why you're not going to find God is because God won't be found on your terms, uh, but rather uh, God will be found on his. And so what they've been doing is, is they've been, you know, really getting super pious all of a sudden, but they're, they're completely uh, far from God. And so, and he says, therefore, I've hewn them by my, 
by the prophets. I have killed them with by the words of my mouth, and my judgments go forth as the light. And uh, what he's essentially, God is essentially saying there is that uh, what he really loves is that he wants them to love them. He uh, wants them to uh, have their hearts right before him. He's not interested in just all of this outward kind of show. But what he's really looking for is uh, that's why they can't find him is because they think, you know, they just put some lipstick on the pig, as they say. (laughs) But instead, uh, God, what he really wants is I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And what is the knowledge of God? Well, that you are, uh, that he's come to you and he's been longing for you. And um, you are justified by him, uh, not by uh, your actions and showy things, but you are justified by him by grace through faith. It all summarizes that the just shall live by faith. And, uh, and it is in that, when you realize that you're a creature in need and not trying to make alliances and not trying to hedge your bets, that uh, God is ultimately found, is ultimately found in uh, his merciful presence in Jesus Christ. Yeah, and I think that's so important to keep that in mind uh, when looking at this passage, that um, because it, it can, you know, if you, like this passage is a criticism of people who are sort of wishy-washy in a sense and presumptuous with God. Um, you know, this great sentence, your love is like a morning cloud, God says to the to, to, to Judah and Ephraim, your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. So basically, you know, you wake up and the clouds are there and then the sun comes up and burns off the dew and the mist and all that sort of stuff. So basically, basically you're, you're short-lived, you're fickle, mm-hmm. you're, you, you make a commitment, but then you know, two days later, you've abandoned it. And mm-hmm. so you could read that and you could preach a real law filled, like, you know, are you totally sold up for the Lord? Is your repentance half hearted? Like, come back. And, you know, there's a place for that, I think, maybe. Mm-hmm. It's you that way. But the thing that one must remember is you say how God has revealed God's self in Jesus Christ. And if you look at the disciples, you see them very much like Judah and Ephraim, people mm-hmm. whose love is like the the morning cloud or the dew yeah. that just evaporates. Like they all. If you've ever to been to the him. desert, yeah, yeah, it goes away quick. And they all pledge to follow Jesus, and they all evaporate. Um, and so, yeah, this does I think is another way to 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 acknowledge as God does here very clearly something that human beings do a lot. God speaks yeah. honestly. He diagnoses truthfully. He doesn't sugarcoat that our love is like the dew that goes away when the sun comes up. Uh, yeah. But, and, uh, and everybody, but, in, but he redeems us and, and Jesus goes to the cross for us still. So it's not to excuse it, let it get away, but it's like, this is another way human beings fall short. And another thing that Jesus saves us from in his, in his love and mercy. Yeah. And it's all these ways we think that we can try and win and earn and manipulate God's favor, you know, to get him to come down and, and meet us. And, and this is, and this is an encouraging word for everybody who's preparing a sermon you know, he says, therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets, uh, by uh, basically what I did is I sent them preachers and I've killed them by the words of my mouth. The truth is, is uh, my friends, when you're preaching, uh, you are delivering a powerful word, a word that if you, uh, as Aaron just said, if you preach the law, we'll kill everybody, you know, everybody get ready to get to do it, you know, uh, uh, or uh, it can actually bring life. 
And uh, when it brings life, this is the message that, um, hey, God has met you on his terms and it's in grace and mercy, not in achievement and earning. Well, then you begin to realize that uh, God has never desired uh, sacrifices or burnt offerings, but rather he really uh, desires steadfast love. Yeah. A love that knows how much God's grace has, has forgiven and transformed us. And really, that is the knowledge of God. He's not the one, you know, he's not the divine life coach. Mm. He is uh, He is your God and your Savior. And I think, yeah, that is so key that, that the love, the steadfast love that he desires is not generated from within ourselves, from our own resolution or resolve to do to be steadfast. I, I, I'm on this uh, email list for pastors, this uh, company that provides a lot of good technical, like, I don't know, it's, it's a, like a nerdy pastor email list. They provide things like tips on social media or whatever. And they, they recently said, like, our, our service of social media help really makes a difference in the world, which I'm sure it does, and it has for us. We've used their, their products before. But they included a screenshot of a text message that one of their clients, a, a church, got from somebody who saw something on their social media feed. And they were using this as an example of, like, how powerful social media can be. And this person out there in the world saw this sermon clip or whatever and wrote to this client of this company, uh, I was scrolling through Facebook, saw a clip of your sermon, it grabbed my attention. I listened then to the entire sermon. It convicted me and really has challenged me. I've been hot and cold in my walk with Jesus. Again, like Ephraim and Judah, hot and cold, mm -hmm. totally flaky. And he says, to be honest, I've never fully committed to him. And on top of that, I have not done the daily walk. But I know now what I have to do. And I understand my repentance has to bear fruit. And on one side, I want to say, great. But also, you and I, Jake, both know that this is a recipe for just another stumbling. Because he's saying, I now know what I have to do, and now I will do it. Um, and the idea that just knowing can make you do the thing, we all know that's not true. We all know what it takes to, you and I were talking in the pre-show banter uh, about we know uh, what we should be eating and what we should not be eating, and yet we have a problem always doing that. So knowledge doesn't necessarily do it. So just like with uh, the Bible doesn't end with Hosea, like, uh, you know, we need a Savior. And if you preach in such a way, if you yell at your congregation, clergy people, um, based on this passage, to don't be like Ephraim and Judah, really mean it and steadfast and do it from today on, now, march, go, do it. Um, mm -hmm. you will have people that will say, yes, we can like this guy in the social media thing. But I, so my heart went out to this guy cause like, ah, oh, he's going to fail and then he's going to blame himself and then he's going to stay away from church for a while. So make sure you preach the love and forgiveness of Jesus because every single one of Jesus' disciples has at some time or another been a backslider. And, um, this is just another thing that he has saved us from and our righteousness comes from him, not from ourselves. So just make sure you end on the gospel, preach the law, but make sure you end on the gospel. Yeah. And well, now we come to uh, why we need the gospel. And uh, uh, Paul uh, in Romans chapter 4, verses 13 to 25. And uh, this is a um, very, very powerful text and really the heartbeat of uh, one of the heartbeats of Christianity, um, the entire epistle of Romans for that matter, but uh, specifically here. And um, and what Paul is doing here. So basically what was happening is there were, there were a handful of folks who were accusing Paul of starting a new religion. And uh, if you remember, Romans 1, 2, and 3 is like the real bad news. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's, you know, it is, uh, it's lights out and uh, all of humanity is a total mess. 
And uh, but there was a there was a teaching, a rabbinic teaching at the time that basically uh, Abraham was justified by his works. And, uh, and Paul is like, absolutely not. And so uh, what Paul is doing here is he's using Abraham as an example of uh, the way God had operated actually before the Mosaic Covenant where he delivered the law. And so he's building his case here that um, actually Abraham believing God and it crediting to him as righteousness was how, um, how it was always planned, how it's always been, you know, just believing what God has said. Uh, the, the, fruit, the root of all sin is ultimately unbelief. But um, uh, Paul uses Abraham as an example here of a person being justified by uh, faith because Abraham, if you read the book of Genesis, is actually a scoundrel. I mean, his life really, uh, well, stunk. You know he, he, you know, he sold his wife out not once but twice. You know, all sorts of things. But Abraham is an example because he believed God. That's mm. it. And uh, we are righteous on account of believing God as well. That's how we're justified. And that's really the point here of uh, uh, verses 24 and 25, where he says, But for ours also it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And so what faith, Paul is saying here, and if you want to preach on this, a great theme to preach on is what is faith? So many people think faith is a little bit of Jesus juice that I need to get me kind of over the hump. And, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and that is not the case. Faith is the gift, a gift to believe God despite all evidence to the contrary. So now what do I mean by that? Well, I look at my life oftentimes and I'm like, gosh, what a mess. You know what I mean? And uh, I, I can't believe I would be declared, are you kidding? I'm not righteous. Uh, but uh, faith is the gift to believe what God has declared about me, despite all evidence to the contrary. And really, that is what uh, Paul is getting at here, to be reckoned righteousness on account of believing. I think that, yeah, this is so key. And if you ever wanted a Sunday to be able to talk about imputation, talk about how God Amen. sees us and um, because so many people even those who know better um, and those who don't we have this default view of the world where God is unhappy with us and we need to make God happy through our actions and and this says that God he takes things I love this part um, where he, he talks about calling into existence things that do not exist so a righteous Jacob does not exist. A righteous Aaron does not exist. A righteous you listener does not exist. Um, so it's not telling you to, to get better. It's saying that God makes this thing to be but through his word, through the gospel, uh, by calling into existence things that don't exist. So mm. um, uh, this is what your righteousness is a gift to you. And uh, having people hear that is such a refreshing thing um, because we're so just conditioned to feel like religion is about law, religion is about performance, religion is about getting better. And for many people, that's actually how it's experienced. But this is this passage shows us what God does, that he, um, he, he justifies you. You're justified. Um, there's nothing else to do. There's nothing more to earn. And, and um, leaving that ringing in, in the ears of your congregation um, is a 
it's a powerful, beautiful thing. And you, yeah, as you said, you have to look no further than the scoundrel Abraham to see that that's, that is how God has worked. It mm. is how, it's how he's worked in the past, how he works now. And, you know, at the beginning, Paul says, the law brings wrath. Look, you could, you could choose to be under the law, but just know that it will mm-hmm. burn you to a crisp. So, mm-hmm. anyways, it's great stuff. And uh, It is unable to produce that which it demands. That's right. Um, only, only faith can produce that which is demanded. You know, and so, um, and that's because he's doing the producing. And uh, he does the producing through mercy, not sacrifice, which is really um, at the heartbeat of what our gospel is all about today. Matthew chapter 9, verses wait, 9 through let me 13. Say, and, let me say just one oh, little thing it. before, which is just to say that if you're in an Episcopal church, Anglican church, Lutheran church, whatever, any sort of liturgical church, if it's a Eucharistic service where you're preaching on this text, and let's say you're preaching on Romans and not Matthew or Hosea, um, you, after, if following the prayer book liturgy, after you sit down from preaching the sermon, you ask people to stand up and say the creed. We believe, we believe, we believe. So as you're ending the sermon, if there's something you want to do, you could talk about the fact that you're going to invite people in this liturgical setting to put their faith in God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. And, you know, not to make it another thing to do, like a lever that, you know, we pull the lever and it makes God do stuff for us. But just know that this is something we, we do again and again. We reenact it every Sunday when we have this liturgy that you're putting your faith and as a community in God. And this is, um, this is why we rest on grace. This, it's, 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 um, this comes through the law. Or this this good word comes through faith. So just note that as you can kind of clue people in to say, we're going to give you an opportunity right now to, to give voice to this, um, to put your faith and to know that as you are doing that, even if your faith is, as Jesus says, as small as a mustard seed, um, that this, this, this faith, this confession of faith is a gift from God and your righteousness is imputed to you. Your, it's reckoned to your, your faith is reckoned to you as righteous. So just to clue that in, you have a way for people to respond immediately to this preached word in that they will be saying the creed. That's all I wanted to say. Said it too long. I apologize. Moving on to Matthew 9 and uh, the beautiful Caravaggio painting, the calling of, of Matthew, collecting his taxes. This is another sort of story like Abraham, a scoundrel, calling, sitting in his booth, collecting money, extorting it basically, taking a cut for himself. And Jesus comes up to him and says, clean up your act and then follow me. Right, Jake? Yeah, that's right. Just the way I like, I, I kind of treat the gym. You know, I like to work out before I get a membership. And so right. uh, no, he says, follow me. And, uh, and well, uh, he does. He gets up and follows him. Once again, this idea of creating out of nothing with a word. And, uh, you know, and so he gets up and uh, there they are. And um, boy, who is he having dinner with? But he all sorts of scoundrels, you know, a bunch of Abraham, Isaac and Jacobs, you know, tax collectors, sinners, all sorts of folks. Um, Think about and, the people uh, you don't like on Twitter. And yeah, that's, that's who right. He's hanging out with. Yeah, unfortunately. And I'll tell you what: uh, nothing is more irritating to um, to holy people when they see uh, other folks getting away with something. You know what I mean? When people think that they are actually better than you, and um, and uh, and so uh, Jesus uh, just tells them exactly what that's about and whom he has call, come to call. And he doesn't say, you know, I've come to call people who wear their WJD bracelet, you know, or, or any of that. But I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Yep. And that message is what attracts 
sinners. And I've heard it said, if your church doesn't in some way look like this, then you may want to look at the message you're preaching. If your church is not an attractive place to sinners, um, and sure, there's going to be holy people coming because this church or people that think they're holy, I should be more precise. Um, but if, if there's not room in the pews or the stacking chairs for people who are sinners, um, uh, I don't know, check yourself before you wreck yourself, because this is what the message of Jesus does when proclaimed uh, that there's freedom for the captive and mercy for the sinner. Um, it tends to draw those people like moth to a flame. Mm. I uh, can't help but remember that thing about that Tim Keller quote mm. um, of blessed memory. Um, uh, and he said, uh, the gospel is that I am so sinful that Jesus had to die for me, yet so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. I can't feel superior to anyone, and yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. Mm. Yeah, and you see another story tacked on after the end of this where Jesus says, and I mean, you could preach this, I came not to call the righteous but sinners. I mean, that'll preach itself. It's amazing mm -hmm. um, because everybody in your church, will that's for them uh, and for you. Uh, but uh, Jesus' ministry of the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins um, is, is tied up in also this healing people in physical ways as well. Like he heals spiritually, he heals physically. So here's a woman who comes up to Jesus and touches his cloak and is healed from this, uh, the, this bleeding that she's had for 12 years. Um, and then he goes and he raises a girl from, uh, who's died. So, um, the spiritual healing, this healing of, uh, long-term physical chronic illness, and then the raising somebody who has died. So just bam, 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 showing Jesus's power over all these things that destroy people. Um, uh, he forgives sins, he heals illness, and he raises from the dead. And so this is the, 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 the kind of world-changing, life-overturning message of the, of the gospel and how it looks. Mm. And I think a lot of churches like to talk about us being the hands and feet of Christ in the world and bringing healing and restoration. And we do do that in some limited ways. It seems like we've been doing it for a long time and the world has still got a lot of problems. Um, but uh, I, I just want to say like, this is the work of Jesus, what he mm. does. Um, and, uh, and all those things are, to, are kind of held together. So um, I think, and the, and the thing that's, I think connects all these things is the one-way-ness of it. So Matthew does not get his act together and come to Jesus, and Jesus says, okay, I begrudgingly accept you, and you've cleaned up your life, and all, whatever remaining residue of sin, I will forgive, and now welcome home. No, he says, follow me, and he says it while he's doing the sinful thing, while he's not even begun to clean up his life or think about it. So it's kind of this one-way invitation of Jesus. Mm. Um, you see with the woman who is suffering from the bleeding, um, uh, she kind of secretly goes up behind Jesus and touches the fringe of his cloak and all this power goes out from him. Um, and then the girl who's dead, um, she obviously can't do anything and he raises her from the dead. So this, this overwhelming power of God to redeem people who are not, uh, you know, they don't add anything to it. Um, so that's, I mean, I think, uh, 
there are people in your congregation who are in situations they cannot fix. They can't get rid of their own That's sins. Right. They can't heal themselves. And the places uh, to quote Elton John in that song uh, where Robert Downey Jr. is in the, in the video, um, men like me are dead in places where other men are liberated. Um, and there are, everybody has these dead places in their lives that need resurrection, and Jesus comes mm. to do that. So, you know, that's, that's how I preach Matthew 9. Absolutely. I wouldn't change a thing. So, I mean... Well, then, then, then we're yeah. done. Yeah, man. Happy preaching, everybody. And remember, um, you have been justified by grace, uh, by faith, in Christ alone. So, Amen. Well, happy 250th uh, episode, same old song. And uh, thank you, Jake, for your time, yeah. your wisdom. And, and thank just... you for wearing that handsome gray suit. So. Hey, yeah. Well, one of us has to look <laughs> professional. All right. All right. Bye. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him, but three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.